Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined as I am each week by media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on the show, we get caught up with Grant Wall, who, of course, uh, from the podcast Football with Grant Wall. Lots happening in the world of football. Carly Lloyd retires, the passing of the great Gerd Mueller, Messi's move, some young Yanks really making their presence known in Europe, and uh, a lot more on the pod today. By the way, guys, uh, this just coming out across the wires, Polisic. Tested positive for COVID, so it looks like he's out against Arsenal. So uh, I'm telling you, I'm looking at that Soccer America's TV listings, and I know I'm going to take some heat from my girlfriend again because this is the time of year when uh, I've already been sitting on the couch watching a lot of soccer over the course of the summer. Now this is the time of year where I'm just I'm parked on the couch with uh, with various sundries in front of me, and uh, she just keeps walking through the living room, going, "Get up, do something. What another game? You know, I'm like, um, yeah, I know, I know, but it's a great game. I got to watch it." my job (laughs) and i always mention this you know grail you'll remember this sam's too young but my god uh we remember when there was that one game on pbs that was taped delayed you know they'd actually tape the game send it over you know uh, probably on an ocean liner and you get to watch the game about 10 days later so as if your girlfriend cared about what it used to be like back no i'm just saying to you now i'm not talking to her but uh (laughs) so a a lot a lot happening uh it'll be great to talk to grant um he's got some uh, some uh, great breaking news all the time he's always uh, he's got his finger on the pulse of of things so it was great to talk to him but uh, before we get going here guys what are you over today on over the ball grail well this is going to sound like a bit of a double negative but let me so let me uh wordsmith this properly so i'm over losing faith in soccer fans willingness to push back against racism and and the case in point i have is in the uh, brentford arsenal match uh last friday uh, at brentford when arsenal's uh uh, Bukayo Saka, who again was the the black player who was maligned after missing the penalty kick in the right. Euros, when he entered the match in this in the 58th minute, the Brentford supporters all stood in unison and gave him a standing ovation. Good for him. Good for them. In recognition yeah. of what he has been going through, and I thought, you know what, God, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. It was just such a wonderful moment and so unscripted, and it was just again. The fans get it. There are certain fans that don't get it, but they're in the minority. Well, look, man, I think it's like anything else. Mo- most people, I believe, are good, and they, yeah. they do the right thing. And then you have a couple of bad apples, the, and that's not even strong enough. The bunch of, of you know, real asshole racists that just, just yeah. you know, they don't represent everyone. And I said the majority should rule uh, with, with this stuff. And, you know, like I said, with you have Facebook not punishing some of these guys for, you know, straight out racist something, they should be removed. You lose your privilege when you say mm-hmm. that. So, uh, but, you know, then you get freedom of the press, uh, you know, problems. But uh, anyway, that was a good sign. It was great to see uh, mm-hmm. because with the English fans who are the, the losers, the, the bad, bad apples, as I mentioned, they don't realize that those young men uh, who stepped up and took those PKs with a world of pressure on them are the ones who took them that far or are going to take them, you know, in the World Cup to however far they go. And, uh, you know, they need to be supported, not uh, castigated at every miscue that that yeah. happens. So uh, so good stuff there. And, you know, we're going to have Desmond Armstrong on, my former teammate, roommate, uh, to talk about some of these race issues uh, here in the country. And one thing Desmond said he wanted to talk about was basically the racism in women's soccer, which I thought was interesting. So, oh, man, I, I hadn't thought about it. So he'll uh, enlighten us as he always does next week on uh, OTB. Sam, what are you over? 
Yeah, I'm over the the major kind of impetus um, behind every change that has been proposed to the game of soccer, seeming mm -hmm. to come from this idea that, uh, you know, young people now consume, which is not a word I particularly like, but the game <laughs> in an entirely new and different way. Um, you know, just to cite a specific example, um, Andrea Agnelli, the, the president of Juventus, has said in the past that, you know, the biggest competitor to the Champions League and to global soccer is, you know, kids, teenagers playing FIFA. Um, and it's as if we have to sort of turn the game into this, I, I don't know, this video game. And again, I have, I, I'm, this is not me calling out the younger generation. Every, every generation changes, they bring good and bad things. But right. my point is, and Grail, you can probably speak to this having worked mm -hmm. in the media for a long time. Like, do people not grow up? I mean, the things I liked when I was 17 and 18 <laughs> are completely different to what I care about now. I, I, yeah, it just seems very odd to me that we're making or trying to make some of these decisions based on these attitudes that are inevitably going to change down the line. Well, remember, remember, you know, everything's soundbite, right? Nobody apparently has the attention span to digest anything that's of any length anymore. So like a 90 what? minute soccer match, you know, what? God forbid it's 90 minutes. So, uh, I mean, he was even suggesting, Sam, about shortening the game. I'm like, wait a second. The game yeah. is great. The millennials have to develop a better attention span. That's what I say. Well, I think, guys, if anything, right now, I think baseball is struggling and uh, basketball in certain ways. I mean, everybody, uh, things that used to be a negative about soccer, no commercial breaks, no, like, yeah. and the, I'm like, these are negatives. Uh, the game's over in, in two hours. Certainly not fast enough for my girlfriend's liking, but um <laughs> You know, but I, I think people are actually trying to emulate some of the things that soccer soccer does. Now, I was surprised when my nephews who did not play soccer growing up, they were football players, knew some of the team's deep bench players. I'm like, how do you know mm -hmm. that guy? And they're like, oh, from, from you know, from want, you know, playing the video game. So I think it definitely has had an influence, Sam. Uh, and, you know, this is right in your wheelhouse, Grail, where yep. marketing and media and they follow, they follow the young but I, I also I, I agree with that totally. But I feel like if anything, FIFA is helping get people into totally. soccer. FIFA, the video game. I mean, I mean, right. I have Absolutely. friends who now consider themselves fans of teams and cities and potentially even countries they've never been to, right? It's and they have brand. all yeah. kinds of jerseys and everything. It's so, just another but, branding mechanism, Sam. It's just how Madden football has helped the NFL. It all helps. It's there's no and you can do both. You can yeah. actually play FIFA and watch a soccer game. What a you know, thought. They're not what mutually exclusive. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. All right. Well, um, so, <laughs> so, uh, so big news. What I was going to say, though, I'm going to say it anyway. It's like I do have some friends who didn't play the game that play, you know, uh, FIFA on you know, on their television. And they actually think they know the game now. And, and they say the <laughs> stupidest shit to me. I'm like, Oh God, man. You know, it's like, it's like soccer one Oh one, you know? Like, uh, so anyway, uh, one of the greats is retiring Carly Lloyd. Uh, she had one hell of a career, one hell of a run outspoken. Um, I've not always agreed with her. Uh, you know, I, when I had her on at ESPN, when we were over there, um, I said, so under that logic, Carly, the, the WNBA should make what the NBA makes. And she says, absolutely. I'm like, oh, God, well, yeah. that's, that's a whole other thing. But as a player, uh, a stud, a complete stud, a, a great player, the type of player you want in the midfield uh, commanding things. So uh, she's she's retiring. Well, so well you look thoughts, at the fellas? stats. Well, the stats, 128 goals, which puts her at number four on the all-time list, 312 caps, 
10 Olympic and 10 World Cup goals, two-time FIFA Player of the Year awards, and that amazing hat trick in the 2015 World Cup final. I mean, half a, half one of the great, she's on the Mount Rushmore. I think, yeah. you know, she's up there with Mia Hamm and maybe um, uh, Michelle Akers. I don't you know, we can debate that, but yeah. uh, just an amazingly long career. And you know what? It's the right time to go. Different type of player than those other two that as well. Yeah. And, I, you know, I liked... I like that sort of grinding out midfielder who does the hard work on both sides of the ball. So, you know, in my, you know, so part of my thoughts is like, there's a, there's a sadness to um, the women's game. Um, I'm kind of going out on a limb here, but I think everything is focused on the national team where the men have so many more opportunities as far as club play, where they can mm -hmm. play themselves in. And I think that's one of the reasons that women have stayed around so long on the national team, because it's the real main focus. It's the dual place to play. Uh, it's where they made their living. It's where they made their reputations and they don't have as many opportunities in, in club soccer. And I just think Carly Lloyd is incredibly competitive. And one of yeah, her I comments was she's, her husband is, this was her comment. Her husband is just waiting for her to switch off. And I totally get it. Like she All is right. just wired nonstop to play the game and, uh, and good for her. And I'm, and I'm hoping it's going to give, uh, Sarbron and um, and Megan Rapino also the impetus to maybe pick this as a time to move on as well. well. Yeah, I think they have bitter bitter thoughts with this Olympics and how it ended, but they I think you know they they did stick around too long. Though Carly still got game. Mm -hmm. um, the other ones have seemed to slow down. It happens quick. Look, we talked about with you know with Jeff Agus uh, helps the U.S. qualify, and, and he just said, man, one game he just sort of didn't have the legs. Uh, he, you know, he lost it quickly. I think he was in his, you know, early thirties at the time. So, uh, a great career for Carly Lloyd. Uh, she's going to go on, uh, you know, we talked to Grant Wall about it in a little bit about, man, she'd be great in the booth. So, mm -hmm. uh, so good stuff there. Props to her. Um, so guys, premier league, uh, has started. Um, what are your thoughts so far in the league? It was great to, to have that Saturday Sunday companion to watch some games. Well, yeah, just quickly. So last Friday, actually, Brentford played Arsenal. And I, and I like Sam, was kind of like, oh, God, another season. Can I get into it? And I tuned into this match. And I, I'll tell you what, Brentford, an amazing story. A club that was that, that's ascended from the ashes of, like, the fourth tier. I mean, this club back in, I think it was 1960, 1998, they were in the fourth tier. They got they uh, wow. they they've ascended to the top. They're in the highest position they've ever been in the past seventy five years. They weren't in the top tier uh, until uh, back to Fort nineteen forty six. What history, huh? Well, yeah. amazing history. Western London, another London club that comes in. They're playing Arsenal from North London, and again seventeen thousand fans. And I also watched the Man United match, sixty thousand mm. plus at Old Trafford. You would have thought the 17,000 fans might as well have been 117,000. Maybe that it into was it, an sure. Amazing atmosphere. It's a great story. It was a very tricky fixture for Arsenal coming in there with Brentford. You know, I mean, they're the darlings. You know, they've come from nowhere and now they're in the top tier. And uh, it was just great. It, it reminded me, I got right back into the Premier League because it reminded me what I love about the game and the fans do make a difference. All right. Now I counterpoint, mean, Sam, how are yes. you feeling so, about the premier sorry, league starting? <laughs> well, I, I'm a little yeah. passionate. Sorry about yeah, that. Exactly. I'm struggling, you know, beyond just the premier league to kind of just get excited at all for this upcoming season. Um, first off, I have to buy a new subscription to Paramount if I want to watch CBS. So I'm sour about that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also just starting to wonder, you know, 
if the Super League would not have been a good idea. Um, we oh. talked to Grant a little bit about this. And, yeah. you know, I, I agree that the way it was presented, the format they were pushing was not the right one. But I, I just don't know. I mean, the, the vast sort of gaps between the haves and the have-nots right now just seems to be just so striking and maybe you know maybe i'm wrong maybe mid-season it'll be tight man city will be in third place psg will be struggling knocked out of champions league but just on the on the eve of the season uh i have this sort of this kind of sourness going into it um i did want to point out you know again city has unfortunately lost some of its top players uh it seems to be the norm these days follow the money um, man follow the money yeah, yeah uh and of course lukaku has been who's been such a joy to watch the last few years where inter has gone back to chelsea which we've talked about before but yeah. um I, i'm getting a little sick of people saying that you know he still has something to prove like this is his chance to finally you know prove he can dominate in the premier Those are english, league or something english folks yeah so i just i just would like to point out the following three players and these are city players i'm sure players like this exist in every league and other people can point them out but um uh coutinho who was one of the best players at liverpool mm-hmm. uh a flop at inter before he left to go to liverpool okay salah Maybe I think Liverpool's highest all-time goal scorer. 15 goals for Roma the year before he left. A good player, not an outstanding player. Scored 32 his first year in the Premier League. Okay, more than double. Wow. And then finally, Bruno Fernandes, who I think most people Fantastic. would say is one of the top two or three midfielders in the Premier League. Um, and he played four years in Serie A with Udinese and Sampdoria. You know, hardly giants. Uh, didn't catch on and was sold, you know, back to Portugal to sporting. So again, I, I just get a little sick of this narrative that, uh, you know, yeah. if you can't, you know, the sort of whatever, like uh, Messi couldn't do it at Stoke. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, to me, Sam, it's all about the situation, right? So Lukaku mm-hmm. had a bad situation at Man United. It wasn't the premier league. It was where mm-hmm. he was playing and the style they were playing and they didn't really accentuate you know, his talents. So that was Mourinho, like, right? That was the Mourinho. Yeah. Years. Yeah. And D Maria struggled at Man United too. So again, I think I De think Bruyne people, struggled at Chelsea for under Mourinho as well. Exactly. I think, you know, exactly. It is so much goes into the, the dynamics of the team, the chemistry, the willingness to play a style that complements that person. So I, I mean, I have no doubt that Lukaku can come back and be successful because he's already proven it and he's proven yeah. it with Belgium. You know, Sam, you make a good point, though, and I've always made it with like a coaching thing. It's like if Mourinho is such a great coach, let's see him take over Stoke and 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 mm-hmm. move them up the ladder or and you, you take a player like Salah, put him with Stoke and see how he does. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so it's sort of like when you surround yourself with great players, great things happen. And, mm-hmm. and it, it goes back to this, the money thing in the Super League. There's a problem because if the money just mm-hmm. keeps drawing all the top players, you have, mm-hmm. you know, these talk about college football in America. A lot of these teams will give college scholarships to keep the player from going to another college to keep yeah. them off the field. So it's sort of like, wow, um, you know, it doesn't seem fair for competition. And well, I think financial fair play has kind of run its course, and there's going to mm-hmm. have to be a new version of that that's going to include something like, uh, you know, salary caps. It may not be the straight right. salary cap system, but it's the only way to bring everything down to be fairer. I mean, because right now it isn't fair. It isn't look as a Chelsea supporter, it's it's not fair that we can go out and buy Lukaku. Mm. Frankly, that's not fair. And that and right. a lot, you know, I talked to a good buddy of mine who's from Paris, a Frenchman, and he's very torn about the Messi situation. He's like, Well, obviously I'm excited to see Messi play on the team I've supported my whole life, but like 
there is no doubt that it's it's awkward and something is wrong you know there's something yeah. broken sure fundamentally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and messi's coming from a place at barcelona where they are they're now a billion in arrears because of yeah. you know financial mismanagement so a billion dollars i mean yeah, that's yeah. A, like a, you know some people's national debt uh, in some cases so hey one good thing about uh the premier league this week uh a bunch of american guys got some real props um josh Sargent, you know you know got on there um yeah, he got on for Norwich against Liverpool, which was nice. And I thought, you know, this is one of the beefs you have, Lenny. It was interesting. Um, I think it was Arlo White was doing that game and maybe Lee Dixon on NBC Sports Network. They were pumping the hell out of Josh Sargent. Like before he came in as a sub, they kept referencing him, saying maybe he gets playing time. They spoke about him before the game. So I've got to give them, you know, they oh. identified him as a an American player playing in you know the premier league and they were definitely giving him his due which Look, i Grail, nice. you know this better than anybody there it's an american broadcast with an american company nbc if you don't yeah. highlight the american kid there's something wrong with you perhaps it well, could have smart. been well it's smart but i'm saying like they're just following the money as well it's of course well, you have to mention well, would you Sargent. rather have them not mention them no absolutely so, but i think well, the props go. to give them it's the obvious they have to it's it's part of the whole you know packaging thing look um and, and Pulisic also scored uh claudia reina's kid uh, gio reina scored as well um yeah. Yeah, josh Sargent, i think played kind of effectively he might get some more time um this coming week so uh, americans doing well and then brendan aronson had a great yeah. game as well. A nice goal. He made a big difference. I, I'm telling you, we talked to Grant a little bit about this. Yeah. Uh, all these players that are coming along, it's uh, it's been kind of nice. So, yeah, Burhalter, the chess master, is just going to have to figure out with all this talent is how do you put the best 11 on the pitch and then who are your four subs? And that's he's got, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time to figure that yeah, that's, out. That's a good problem. One, one yeah. we really haven't had uh, in the yeah. past. Hey, guys, I got to give a, a shout out to Greg Kenny. Um this uh, the goalie stuff. You must have been watching this Chelsea versus Vill Villarreal in the UEFA Super Cup. So uh, I thought of Greg. I mean, I got to yeah. tell you, my, I wanted to call Greg in his car because that's where he always is whenever he comes on the show. Yeah, unfortunately. And, no, no. So we were, <laughs> he, we were talking about substituting keepers in during penalties. If you have a guy who's, you know, especially good at saving penalties. So uh, in Chelsea's match against uh, Villarreal, the Super Cup, Tuchel, I, again, bold move in extra time, thinking they may get to penalties, subs Mendy out for Keppa. Keppa, the guy who's kind of their maligned backup keeper. Sure. Keppa comes in, makes a couple saves. Chelsea wins the Super Cup. Tuchel's a genius. I mean, it was incredible, nice. but it was a bold move. I mean, but the, the, this is just, this is what penalties are. I mean, Southgate would have been a genius too if all those guys yeah. he put on it had scored their penalty kicks, it's right? So and then it's yeah. crazy to put a gun eye, put a guy on and he doesn't even get a touch and then he takes a penalty kick. It, it's got to be just as crazy to put in a goalie who doesn't get a touch. I think a, a goalie touch. though, Sam, is a little less pressure because you're ex you're not expected to save it, right? So if you do mm -hmm. save it, it's kind of a, a bonus, I feel. Um mm -hmm. And psychologically, I think also, if you're putting a keeper in, it does get a little bit in the heads of the penalty takers on the other team saying, why is he coming in? You know what I mean? It's, it's a little sure, bit of a sure. psychological play. You know, it's also interesting, guys. I was having a, I was out with some buddies the other night having a cigar and I'm sitting in this room and I rarely do this, but uh, some of the guys started talking about soccer and 
they were saying the goalkeepers are too big now. They're six, seven. They have to expand the net and or you know make the goals bigger. No, you know you dismiss it, Grail. But I got to say this. Um, I started to think. All right, here I have to have this discussion with some non-soccer people. They were they were soccer players. They were guys who played at a high level, and so it sort of changed the conversation because some of the guys just stand on the penalty kick, holding the the crossbar, not even you know on their tiptoes. It's just their wingspan is that big. Now you we're talking about Gerd Mueller and the times when he scored goals and the way they used to hack him and the way they. Hack Georgie best the way things have changed on the field. I don't know, man. I'm thinking they are so much bigger and so much more athletic now. Uh, maybe it's like an argument of saying, you know, you got to make the basketball hoop higher. And I always blank that out. So um, I don't know. Maybe you it's put, the time to make it a little bigger. Greg Kenny thinks it should be bigger. Well, my response to that is two things. First of all, low and in the corner. I don't care how big you are, you can't get down to save it. So just put it low mm, in the I don't corner. Know. I don't know. If and second true. of all, Sam. Sam's a hockey fan. I'm a hockey fan. The goalies have gotten infinitely bigger in hockey. Then that hasn't changed. And I don't think it's ruined the game. The, oh, the goalies have gotten better. You How know? about and, less and, pads? Because, you know, well, they stand yeah, in front they, of the they, net. They, they, yeah, they've gone back and forth on pad size, right? They, they did yeah. add a restriction to the size of the pads, the leg pads you could have in the NHL. But again, I, I just, I'm, I'm too much of a purist. It's just me. I can't see making the goal bigger. I just, you're an man. old man. Let's talk to the youngster, Sam. What no, do you think? Again, if you're six, five and you put a ball low in the corner, they can't get it. I don't think that's true. They can get it. They, they can can't get it. Get it. No, yeah. They can't get down. They got to guess 50, 50, go low. I mean, that's why yeah. you either got to go low. You got to go high, but you can't go medium. I love the fact that goalkeeping's better. Mm. I mean, first of all, the ball's tougher to stop. So you got to have something that equalizes things. It's a better a ball bit, so. too, man. It's a better ball. Just Sam, move. please weigh in here. <laughs> I don't know about making the goal bigger. I'm not a huge fan of that, but you know, talking to Greg, he always gets me thinking. And uh, I wonder if the goalie box couldn't be a little smaller. I mean, or maybe oh, shaped, shaped like an arc. So you don't have these kind of pointy corners where people are getting penalty kicks going away from the goal and getting hacked from behind. Um, and also the way goalies play with their feet now, I don't know. I don't think they need that much space to use their hands. Um, so I feel like if you keep them a little more honest that way, they can't kind of cheat as much on the angles. You know, that might open things up. That's a good point. Uh, a I little bet, you bit. Know, it almost seems now that you, you don't have to play the ball out of the box, um, you know, on a goal kick. It has changed the, that box stuff looks a little out of date. Yeah. How about you, big traditionalist, Grail Howlett? I'm, I'm less opposed to that than changing the size of the goal. I mean, mm. uh, you know, again, I just think that, uh, you know, everybody has become technically so much better that, uh, I mean, if, if, if you did shrink the box a little bit more to give keepers less freedom to roam around, but, but I don't think much of them use that whole box anyway anymore. Right. I think if, yeah, I think if we're going to see changes related to goalkeeping, it's going to be driven by like concussion issues. I think that's going to be the main driver. And that I think is another reason the box might get a little smaller. So goalies don't feel like they can come out, you know, 15 right. yards off their line, punching a ball, you know, taking a guy's head off at the yeah. same time. Well, they think, yeah, we talked about that with Greg last week. You can't yeah. really do that like you used to be. Able well, to, they. Um, Maybe they not, but there's still plenty of, you know, and, and guys big, get really yeah. badly injured. Yeah. 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 My thing is just, you know, on a corner kick, uh, just holding each other, pulling shirts, tugging. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, you can't do that in basketball boxing out in the, in the, in the bucket, you know, it's like, they should really start to call that. And I tell you, you, you call two, three penalties and it's league wide be like, Oh wow. You can't well, do this the, stuff. The officiating over the weekend for the premier league was excellent. And, and they did have a goal that uh, would have been allowed 
um, offsides in the previous version of the line that actually uh, was allowed. So I'm like, I saw some improvement. I don't know about you, Sam, and some of the games you were watching, but I just thought they were letting stuff go a little bit more too. Yeah, I, I watched. I watched very little. One game I watched was Borussia Mönchengladbach against Bayern Munich, and there were two plays in that that really stood out. The same guy actually, Lillian, or no, sorry, Marcus Turam, the uh, French striker for Gladbach, was taken down twice in the box for what I thought was probably a penalty in both occasions. Um, but there seemed to be a clear directive to the official to not make the call if there was any doubt and let the VAR, you know, award mm-hmm. the penalty after the fact, because obviously it's the kind of situation that had he called the penalty, they never would have overturned it. Right. So it seems that to me is common sense. It was too bad that it happened to the same team, to the same guy within 15 minutes. It wasn't right. a great look, but I think overall that's going to, that's going to be a benefit over the whole mm-hmm. season. Hey, you know, guys, I'm just thinking to go back to the goalkeeping for a second. Um, I think we should have Greg Kenny study the U S keepers. Uh, their their pluses and minuses because I don't think Zach Steffen is the number one keeper for the U.S. Men's National. Team I think right it's now. Turner. Yeah, it's either Turner or or um, Horvath. Name. Or or yeah, Ethan Horvath. Yeah, so, um, they seem more relaxed with the ball at their feet, which is where Burhalt is trying to play the game, and Zach's not getting this the time at Man City. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I, th- I think he's he's got something to prove now. He really does. Yeah, those, those two guys have stepped up. I mean, it's really almost well. like they've said Stefan's the default starter. And I, I agree with you. He's playing cup games and things like that for City, but these other guys are playing much more often and just look sharper. Hey, Sam, uh, Ted Lasso, second season. You excited? <laughs> I The first what time Ted up Lasso that is. <laughs> came around. Well, I, uh, I like it. Okay, no, before you even start, Sam, I'm going to say I like Ted Lasso. It's, it's a fun show. But one thing that, that bugs me about it, and it seems like it's never been able to be captured, is uh, soccer the action on a field yeah, like in yeah. NFL football. It's like, you know, a couple of those movies were like, man, you feel you're right in that helmet. You're right in the middle of the action. For some reason, soccer, they just cannot quite capture it. I think it's a big production mm-hmm. number. Maybe they do have but guys that can play though. At least we're not looking at like right, you know, right, Sears, Sears models kicking around a ball or something. The only example I can remember of like feeling like, wow, they're getting the movement. They're getting things was uh, the movie victory. Uh, with Ardiles and Pele and Michael Caine, great footballer from way back. <laughs> and Sly Stallone as a keeper. Oh, my God. Jesus. Just, hideous. Just, just reinforcing every American stereotype right there. It's like, yeah, you talk about a woke culture. Surprising he didn't have an AK-47 straight <laughs> So, Sam, what are your thoughts on Well, anyway, yeah, it was on my mind because the second season is out now and everyone's talking about it again. I made it through about three quarters of an episode when the first season came around. (laughs) This time I made it through an episode and a half. So I doubled my time, which was good. But um, I still didn't make it through the second episode. I I just (laughs) I, I can't get into it. I mean. I understand the sort of arc and point of the show. He's this like eternal optimist who's eventually going to win over all these sort of Brits who, you know, are uh, curmudgeonly and like don't want (laughs) to laugh at stuff and everything. But it it's just too cheesy for me. And it just I, I don't know. It's kind of too unrealistic a premise. So anyway, I will throw out one of my favorite TV shows of all time is the BBC show. Uh, People just do nothing. It's a mockumentary about guys running a pirate radio station in Brentford of all places. And they are rocking lots of Brentford gear. So if you want something that ties back into the Premier League, even though there's no soccer going on, give that a look. 
there's just yeah. too much to watch. Brentford's my, now my second favorite team in the Premier League, by the way. You know, they're a London club, and just the whole story, it's like, how can you not root for Brentford? What was the old one, Burnley? Because that was sort of a great big story back then when they moved, made the, the transition. Yeah, but they never, I mean, they never came from the depths of Brentford. I mean, Brentford was, when I lived in England, Brentford was like barely had a pulse. I mean, it was yeah. just incredible how far they've come. Hey, so um, I want to talk about this, but then we got to get to Grant Wall real quick. But uh, the La Liga debut on ABC had to be a letdown, huh? Graham? Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I do have to do my homework and get the uh, the actual ratings. But I just thought building up to it, you know, again, it's one of those unfortunate um, byproducts of the messy move is, of course, they were promoting the hell out of La Liga coming to ESPN and the and fact ABC, that it was yeah. the first American broadcast of a La Liga match. American broadcast is the key word there. And, uh, you know, it was a 4-2 match and Barca looked great. I mean, I kept saying like, I guess course, they don't need man. Messi. They don't need Messi. But yeah, I, I've got to drill down and I've got to start watching on a week-to-week basis how the Barca ratings are doing on La Liga without Messi and then how the uh, PSG ratings are doing on, you know, for league on, on B in sports. Well, it'll be very interesting if he can drive that. It, it, he may be the differentiator right there. Well, I think when, you know, to go back to your point, Sam, with the, you know, all the money's moving towards the premier league. Now you have ABC and ESPN figuring NBC's crushing it with the premier league. They're going to make an investment in La Liga and maybe this competition will be good uh, health wise can bring some players back to, to uh, La Liga. Or your your uh, your Syria ah one day. I mean, it was um, ta- it was Taylor and Ian Dark, so it's great for them. I mean, right. to be able to, those are those are going to be some showcase games for them. Hey, and great. talk a little bit, Grail, about the UEFA Super Fund, this pandemic relief fund. That's uh, yeah. So this, you dollars. guys will remember that this had been bandied about a while, actually during COVID, and yeah. I, I, actually, I guess they they've been very secretive of who they're getting their funding from. You know, whether or not it's Citigroup or whoever, they don't really want to disclose this, but apparently it's going to be $7 billion. Um, They're going to focus on the cash strap clubs in Europe, and there's going to be some kind of um, rating profile for each club, you know, which determines who needs the money uh, the most. But it's, you know, there's such there's been such a problem around COVID. and, And Sam talked about this the other week is with player movement. You know, just because in a typical year, you had about $7 billion worth of transfers, but now you got all this overpriced talent, you know, the Coutinho's, there are any number of players who are just, uh, who um, their their value is way beyond their talent. Yeah, but and, players, they can't move, and they can't move them. There's yeah, so nobody to buy them. Right. So it's like a PPP thing uh, domestically that we've had here. And, you know, so hopefully these Russian oligarchs get made whole. As this happens, I think there's going to be more corruption because Tom Brady got millions for his company. The Catholic Church got billions for theirs on this this bailout. So follow the money again, Sam. I've said it four times in this broadcast so far. Uh, you watch the corruption that happens. Well, uh, the other thing that you're going to see is, you know, with La Liga is that there is a I think it's called the CVC fund is looking to invest about two or three billion in La Liga, which is like 10 percent of their value. So I think what you're going to have is you're going to have a lot more of these private equity funds looking around at various leagues and looking to, you know, pump money into them. I guess it oh, would, that, Sam, that wouldn't work at the Bundesliga, right? Because the Bundesliga is kind of owned. Fan owned. Well, there are, there are a few teams. I mean, supposedly it has the 50 plus one rule, but I mean, yeah. there are a few certain individuals or companies who found ways to kind of 
funnel some money in there. I mean, it sounds to me, I, I think I read with the relief fund, you know, they're going to start with the teams that are in the champions league, the, or whatever the UEFA cups called now Europa league and this new or whatever, the third one, I don't even know what it's called. Um, and that means you're looking at about like the top nine teams, top eight or nine teams. So uh, to me, it's again, uh, and Barcelona is a billion in the hole and then Russian yeah. Olga. It's, it's ridiculous. And I tell you, yeah. wherever wall street goes, good things happen. Yeah. uh for people so uh yeah. they, they're there to make money not a, not to uh, have a competitive league and and soccer so uh it's tough times in soccer so let's get out here on that positive note uh we come back we'll be talking to grant wall from football with grant wall you listen to otb all right joining us now and over the ball he's a regular here on otb uh made a big announcement uh yesterday actually leaving sports illustrated after 25 years football uh with grant wall uh, Mr. Grant Wallace here. Grant, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? Hey, so 25 years. You must have started when you were like five. That was just, but, but you, you know, you, you've done so much great work for Sports Illustrated. So it's uh, it's finally over. That was uh, that's it. Yeah, you know, I mean, just the it's literally the only full time job I've ever had, uh, and had so many life changing experiences at Sports Illustrated over the last 25 years, and just incredibly thankful for everything that uh, and everyone at SI over the years and you know I, I know there's been a, some ups and downs the last couple <laughs> of years but uh, and I was out there for a while and then uh, they had a new operator come in and uh, I think SI thankfully is, is getting back to what it does best strategically which is to tell great stories and mm -hmm. Um, so I wrote at recent agreement with them to write three stories over the last few months. I, I published my last one this week on Diego Maradona and how nine months after his death, Argentina can't seem to stop its mourning, uh, nice. which is pretty revealing about Argentine culture. So I, I wrote about that, but, uh, um, yeah, just, uh, really good vibes on both sides with, with Sports Illustrated, but I have some exciting announcements coming up here very soon that uh, people are still going to be able to uh, consume what I do. Uh, well, look, I've been consuming it for a long, long time. And the interesting thing is, you know, those of us who have been in this game for a long, long time, uh, at first, Sports Illustrated and some of your articles, you were the only one covering the game. Uh, and I used to just imagine you going into the editor's room and, and begging to get a soccer piece on Sports Illustrated. And Grant, uh, Grail, I know you worked at Sports Illustrated for a mm -hmm. long time. It was the battle for soccer now is not is, is a very different game. And the whole media game has changed as well. So uh, you've been a big part of that. So it'll be fun to see what you what you do well, next. Grant, Grant was always working it on the edit side and I was always working it on the business side. Mm -hmm. And sure. we were just just preaching and waving the flag. And finally, we broke them down, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> it's neat to see how the culture has changed. I mean, there's so much good soccer journalism right now on U.S. platforms on a regular basis. And, you know, just some of the stories I've read this week, a, a really great story that ESPN's uh, Bruce Schoenfeld did on Diego Simeone. Uh, great. It's just one of those things, but uh, you know, several other things starting the European season right now and, and podcasts like yours 
which right. is which is pretty fun. Well, you yeah. know, it's uh, interesting. I was just talking to the guys in the opening about uh, this is the time of year when my girlfriend just walks through the living room and she's like, "You're still sitting on the couch watching soccer." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. There's so much soccer on. I'm looking at uh, Soccer America, all the the list of games. I'm like, oh my god, I've got a DVR <laughs> three. I got to watch two. I got it's unbelievable. Um, so you know, in that light." We had a big summer, a lot of soccer, a lot of changes, a lot of good news for American soccer. But what were your your biggest takeaway points from the, from the summer? What really stood out for you? Well, you know, just the great summer tournaments. It seemed like there really hasn't been any stoppage of the soccer once the club season ended at the end of May and then straight into the Euros, Copa America, Gold Cup, Olympics. And now the European season's starting again. MLS has been going this entire time. Um, and soccer never stops. It's it, especially this year. And, um, you know, the, the U S national teams are always going to be big. Right. And, right. and soccer always produces unexpected results. I would not have predicted that the U S women would not win the gold medal and that the U S men would win two trophies this summer, right. uh, and beat Mexico twice. So, um, you know, like, that's not to say that U.S. women were horrible. They got the bronze medal. Um, but unexpected things happen. Uh, Argentina beats Brazil in the Maracanã, the, Go- the Copa America right. final. Italy beats England in the in the Euro final. And um, I really enjoyed it. You know, yeah. I, I was just watching most of these games for fun and doing podcasts, this, you know, this summer. But um just, you know, it was easy to watch these games on U.S. television. And I think there was a big community of fans in the U.S. who paid a lot of attention. And a lot of new fans, I think. And just to go back a little bit, I think, you know, you mentioning the national teams uh, up front there. It, it, do you see any parallels between U.S. men's national team and their growth and their journey with the women's national team? I see, like, I started to notice... I remember during the Harksy years where these guys were in two, three cycles for World Cup games, the women seem to be repeating that with, you know, a lot of players in their in their mid and late 30s in some instances. Did you, do you, is it a natural progression now? We have a lot of younger women players coming up uh, who are sort of forcing the older ones out, which happens in the men's league. But, you know, here you have the men. I, I can't even keep up with all the new players. I'm like, where is he from? What, you know? Where did he go? Where was he training? And with the women, we kind of knew who they all were. And it reminded me of the Claudia Arena, Tab Ramos, Lexi Lalas, you know, those years where they stayed for a long, long time. What are your thoughts? I mean, you can certainly make the argument that there were too many older players on this U.S. women's national team. And that's why they didn't play very well for large chunks of the Olympic tournament. And in international soccer, men's and women's, is... um, it can be a pretty brutal sport, you know, like right. it's, it's a young person's sport. You have to make some really tough decisions sometimes. And, um, you know, this generation of us women's players that's in their thirties now has won a lot over the years, but for the most part, for several of them, you know, I think their time is, is clearly up and the Olympic performance will now result in seeing some more, new faces, younger faces in the next two years before the next Women's World Cup. And frankly, that's how it works. And, right. and, it, and, and we'll see if the younger players can end up achieving as much or more as this wonderful generation of U.S. women's players did. Um, you know, in, in generations can be cyclical, too. We happen to be in a situation the last couple of years with the men's national team where um, 
a lot of guys in their late teens and early 20s are emerging and playing for big clubs. And we'll see how long they can hang on and, and who new comes in. But I, I think overall, I feel pretty good about where U.S. soccer talent development is right now uh, in, in producing players to the point where there's going to be some very good players who don't get much of a chance or any with a national team. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And I also think a little bit this Olympics for the women will sort of be their Trinidad Tobago moment for the U.S. where it's like changes need to be made. Uh, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater, but uh, let, let's make some changes now uh, to, to move forward. Um, so a lot of other big stories. Uh, Grail, you, you wanted to mention the PSG and, and yeah. Messi. Yeah, uh, first, Grant, congrats on a great career, SI, and best of luck with the future Thanks. ventures. Um, yeah, in terms, I'm just curious from a journalist standpoint, the Messi story is so massive on so many levels. And I'm just curious from your perspective, what interests you the most about it? Is it the on the field part of it or is it the broadcast part of it? What, what, what overall intrigues you the most? I mean, I, I love watching soccer, so I'm very excited to see how he plays uh, at PSG and what they're able to do there. It's going to be very strange for me to see Lionel Messi playing for a club other than Barcelona, mm, bizarre. Yeah. which I never thought would happen, to be honest. I, thought it, it, I never thought he would play for another European club besides Barcelona. Maybe an MLS team might even finish up at Newell's Old Boys back in Argentina, where he's from. But um to see him play for PSG with Neymar, with, I think, Mbappe, who doesn't appear to be moving anywhere. Right um, for now. Yeah, I mean, it could be really interesting, you know. Uh, so just from a pure soccer lover's perspective, I, I'm very curious to see how that plays out on the field. But I'm also, as a journalist and someone who cares about the sport, interested in all the forces that caused Messi to have to move to PSG mm -hmm. when he didn't want to leave Barcelona and Barcelona right. didn't want to lose him. And a lot of that's down to gross financial mismanagement by Barcelona over the last few years, uh, a club that's more than a billion dollars in debt. Um, and also everything that's been happening with European soccer on the financial side, which has been exacerbated by COVID and revenues dropping, but also what it means not to have salary control, spending controls of any real sort. And you have a couple of teams that are funded by nation states in PSG <laughs> and Manchester City. And then everyone else just sort of trying to not let them run away and buy all the best players. And, and, mm -hmm. and what does this all mean for the sport? You know, one thing about the Super League idea failed miserably and died as it should have. But there was another aspect of it, which I actually kind of liked. And, I, and this came from the, the Liverpool owners and a couple of the other clubs where they had convinced everyone else who was going to be part of the Super League to agree to spending controls and that part of the idea wasn't bad and right. I, I think would help to make things sustainable and so i, I do wonder if we're eventually going to see something like a better idea of the super league come along that does end up happening 
with that type of cost control that like wouldn't just be for like 15 permanent founding members you know mm-hmm. right Sa- sam this is right in your uh, wheelhouse so what were you talking about in the opening yeah I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it wasn't you know at least in part a decent idea for for the same reason but uh, I, I wanted to follow up grant you mentioned your story um on maradona down in argentina and uh First off, I'm wondering what the reaction has been like down there to Messi's move. And also if, um, you know, does Messi have the kind of same status that Maradona has in Argentina? It seems to me like he doesn't. I could be completely wrong about that, Um, but I'm just curious. Messi does not have Maradona status in Argentina. Mm -hmm. and, And that comes down to a couple of things. The first one is he hasn't won a World Cup. And so... And only won his first trophy, senior trophy with Argentina this summer, uh, as far as a major trophy with Copa America. Um, and so you have people in Argentina who, if they want to be you know, negative about Messi, will say, well, he might as well be Spanish. He moved to Spain when he was 13, um, which I think is really unfair, by yeah. the way. Especially in the um, modern game, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and yet... Um, Maradona is also a very different type of person than Messi has been. Um, and, and people in Argentina look at Maradona as having sort of lived and breathed the Argentina Jersey. He was over the top patriotic, yeah. uh, won a world cup with Argentina. And, um, it, the only other player I've seen actually received a, like kind of a rags to riches story, you know, from, you know, grew up in a shanty town. Carlos Tevez actually is about the only other Argentine player I can think of who has that sort of story and, and attitude that Maradona had. Didn't achieve nearly what Maradona did, obviously. But, um, you know, that's potentially, it, it could still change with Messi. They could still win the World Cup next year. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will, but they won the Copa America. and And so we'll see where it goes with Messi. But part of this story that I wrote for Sports Illustrated was getting at some of the questions that I've always had about like, why is Maradona viewed as this godlike figure mm-hmm. in Argentina when none of the players on the 78 team that won the World Cup on home soil are viewed that way? Like Mario Kempes was the star of that team and he is admired in Argentina, but he's not beloved as a godlike figure. So like, why is Maradona different? You know, why is he viewed differently from Messi? And why is he viewed differently in Argentina than Pele is in Brazil, where Brazilians don't view Pele as a godlike figure? And, and you run into people in Brazil who say, like, oh, Garincha was a better player, actually. <laughs> you know, no one does that with Maradona in Argentina. <laughs> Well, he's a, he's, a, he's a deity here. I mean, when I was playing, it was Pele, I think. But, you know, the, the thing with Messi is he's uh, there's not a lot of controversy around him as a player. You know, uh, he he's not, uh, you know, he, he gets hacked and he just gets up and doesn't doesn't push and, and fight and throw punches. He he doesn't, uh, you know, cry on camera while he's pleading to, you know, on, to the press. I mean, he's just been so uncontroversial. His play has really done it, which as fans, we love to see it. But sometimes uh, you make a bigger impact when you're, uh, you know, when you're sort of uh, bigger than life and always in controversy. Yeah, and, and, and Messi doesn't do a lot of interviews, doesn't have a huge 
public profile. I, I did a cover story on him in 2016 and actually thought he was quite pleasant and learned a lot more about him than I knew before, but I hadn't known much about him before because he hasn't really put a lot out there. And right. mm-hmm. um, there was an, a time early in, in Messi's time at Barcelona when he was hanging out a lot with Ronaldinho, who oh, no. was more of a dicey <laughs> public character. Nice in those days and people inside the club at Barcelona steered Messi away from Ronaldinho because they thought he could turn that become a bad influence on Messi. And I, and I, I actually, I like Ronaldinho, but I think that was actually a pretty good call. Absolutely. Well, I would love to hang out with Ronaldinho too. He was, he seemed like he was having a ton of fun, but it takes away from what you're trying to accomplish on the field. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, uh, Grant, just bringing it back home. uh, We got the um, MLS all-star game coming up. Uh, with the All-Stars against uh, Liga MX All-Stars. Um, and just in terms of MLS, I was curious about your take on Columbus. You know, last year's MLS Cup champions who are really, really struggling, you know, going in one direction, and then you got a team like New England going in the other direction. So would love your take on both Columbus and New England. I'm surprised by Columbus so far not being good. You know, they're out side the playoffs looking in right now now mls is a pretty forgiving league and they've got about 14 games in the regular season to make up that gap and i think they they certainly can but they've had a lot of injuries uh that have made things difficult and they just haven't played very well even when they have had their guys so um we'll see like it's funny because heading into the season i was talking about could this columbus team be the best team in league history and and I mean, this shows it's really hard to predict MLS, obviously, mm-hmm. but I'm not ready to write them off yet. Um, and I think obviously they can get in playoffs and, and make a run like last year. Um, I, I do think what New England is doing in the East is pretty incredible. Like they've opened up a big gap now on basically every other team in the league uh, on points. They're the favorites now for the supporter shield. And it's a real moment for Bruce Arena to to show hey this guy can still coach Mm -hmm. and put together a team as well as anyone in this league and I had him on my podcast not too long ago and and I think he's motivated by that you know Bruce Arena is like 70 years old he doesn't come across that way and and he's still He's one of the few guys now who is not just a coach, but also the GM. And we've moved away from that in MLS for the most part over the last few years, but he's showing that you can still do it and do it well. And he delegates authority to the, you know, to people who work for him. And he's still good at spotting talent, you know, like uh, Tajan Buchanan is, is fantastic. Uh, and you know, may get sold at the end of the season, probably will. Uh, Matt Turner uh, had started to emerge a little bit before Arena got there, but he's amazing, you know, and had a great goal cut for the U.S. So um, New England is suddenly relevant again in in MLS, and I think that's going to be a big storyline. Uh, you know, they're the Buffalo Bills of MLS. They've gotten to mm-hmm. a lot of finals. They've never won it. And in, this could be the year. If they could just get a stadium, uh, yeah. Grail. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, Grant. I was just saying before we came on the the air that 
Um, Arena reminds me of kind of the Bill Parcells of soccer. He's, he's really yeah. good at coming in and kind of creating order out of chaos, but there's generally an expiration date. It's like usually a three or four year tenure where he does amazing things and then something <laughs> doesn't end up working out and he moves on, but his success rate is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, like over the years, I mean, this is a guy who has been at the top of the league since it began, yeah. you know, literally won the first two titles in MLS back in 1996 right. and 97, won a, uh, a boatload of titles with the LA Galaxy and mm-hmm. you know, the Beckham and Robbie Keane years. Um, you know, like it didn't go well for him with the New York Red Bulls, but he wasn't even there for very long. Mm-hmm. And it was right after he coached the U.S. And then he ended up uh, leaving the Galaxy to coach the U.S. again and and comes to, you know, that didn't go well in the end, but, you know, comes back, gets a job with New England and has done a fantastic job so far. So, um I'm curious to see how he, how long he wants to keep doing it. I asked him mm-hmm. about that on the podcast and, you know, he was a little non-committal. I told him he should become like a Boston sports radio guy. <laughs> I, I, yeah, Grant, I think he's great on the air. I it's really perfect. do. No, when he did, um, he's you know, curmudgeonly he was, enough. No, but when he was on the air, he was very insightful and he really threw his opinion out there. Could be controversial yep. at times, but I really like them on air. So I think he's like Parcells. He'll go back. Maybe he'll go on the air. Uh, hey, so <laughs> but we got to wrap up in a little bit here, uh, Grant. We could talk to you forever, obviously. Um, what's your take on the Carly Lloyd situation? One of the greatest players ever to play for the U.S. Women's National Team. She's been very outspoken of late. Um, is this really, you know, what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Carly Lloyd and, and how um, how it's ending here? just an incredible career mm-hmm. and she deserves every accolade that has come her way since announcing that she was going to retire this past week. Um, you know, two world cup titles, two Olympic gold medals, big game goals in all of those tournaments mm-hmm. over yeah. the years. And the world cup final performance in 2015 with a first half hat trick and the goal from midfield two-time world player of the year. You could keep going. I mean, like, it's a remarkable career by any stretch. And and she deserves to be viewed in the same realm as Michelle Akers and Mia Hamm and Abby Wambach and that whole group. So um, she also had a a longer career. You know, she's 39. um, Amazing. and, And still was scoring goals at the Olympics. And and so I think the timing is right mm-hmm. at this point. And I'm curious to see what she does next, what she decides to do. That could be media, that could be coaching, NFL place kicking. I, I haven't asked yeah, like, about that. Go the Tony Viola <laughs> route, yeah. Although, you know, I, when we were over at ESPN, I, we, uh, we had her on and she was in the studio and she actually reminded me a little bit of that. Uh, she's got that kind of Bruce Arena presence, like just she says what she thinks. I like yeah. that she had a real swagger about her, which is you know what great players have. But she has the attitude, that Jersey sort of attitude. I, I would, I would love to hear her on it, the air. I really would. So uh, maybe she uh, and Bruce Arena can host a show. Together. Oh man, I'd listen to that for sure. <laughs> going back and forth. Uh, Sam, you got one more before we get going here? Uh, yeah, Grant. Just to look ahead to the the European seasons, which have, some of which have already started, um, without revealing too much. Uh, I'm curious beyond the sort of main, more obvious storylines of American players in Europe, uh, what are maybe some of the lesser known? It's getting hard to keep track of all the players over there. So what are some of the 
kind of ones that are flying under the radar that you're particularly interested in this year? I mean, I find it interesting that a guy like Conrad De La Fuente, U.S. national team kind of fringe player, right. is like starting for Marseille, playing well, mm-hmm. just got sold there from Barcelona, and yet he may not even get called in for the World Cup qualifiers Amazing. coming up, oh you know? God. And so that's mm-hmm. fascinating to me, you know, really mm-hmm. young guy with a lot of promise. Um, and like even the other day, there was like a, a Champions League qualifier we're near the final rounds of qualifying for the group stage that had a u.s men's player uh i don't know what he he wants to be called jordan sibachu jordan pifak with young boys scored the goal in the nation's league um you know playing in a qualifier for champions league against um ferenc varos from hungary with henry wingo starting another u.s player who hasn't even gotten a call up yet but and, and like, this is, these are real champions league, like important games worth like $50 million to these clubs. And you've got Americans starting and playing a significant role who not even everyone knows about. So like, it, it really has changed now just with the amount of quality young American players over here in Europe. So uh, I try to keep up with all of it. I have a, an app on my phone on the, uh, the FOTMOB app. I don't know if you guys use this, but like I've set it up to have alerts. So when the lineups come out, I know if these guys are starting and, and can be aware of what's happening, but I, I actually mm. need technological help to like keep up with all the young yes. Americans over in Europe now. Grant Wall is like you're like you're in the CIA now, just taking, <laughs> tapping on people with all kinds of software, man. I, uh, I'm worried that he may be... Uh, <laughs> following up on this conversation somehow. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Hey, uh, any thoughts on Gerd Mueller? Uh, Grant, I, I loved, I loved watching him play. I did watch him play in the NASL. Um, you know, where we I mean, amazing life, amazing yeah. life, amazing career. One of like right near the top of best pure goal scorers of all time. And and neat that he got a chance to, that, you know, people in the U S got a chance to see him play in the NASL mm-hmm. and uh, during a real kind of glory year stretch for the league where it wasn't just about the cosmos having great players. It was other teams in the league. So, um, you know, that's, that's probably the best thing to say. And, and yeah. uh, he, you know, he wasn't that much in the public eye over the last several years, but well, he but battled Alzheimer's, remember. I think. So that was what, uh, you know, in part of it. But it, there was this, I remember just the sexiness to Florida because it was like Rodney Marsh was down there. Gerd Mueller was down there. Georgie Best was down there. And it was just sort of like, hey, man, that's where football was really happening. Um, and, he, and he was a big part of it. But he he was also that, uh, you know, that that build. They used to make fun of him, you know, because they called him little little fat Mueller. And yet. <laughs> He's that kind of Barry Sanders, Lionel Messi kind of. It's tough to knock him off the ball, and like you said, it's just a pure, a pure goal scorer at a time when guys got hacked big time, you know, and and nothing, uh, nothing quite happened. So, uh, so our thoughts uh, to his family at this time. Well, Grant, uh, I guess you got some big news coming up. So everybody, uh, football with Grant Wall, check it out. He's going to make some big announcements coming up. Uh, leaving Sports Illustrated after 25 years. That's a big enough announcement in and of itself, uh, but you have some other stuff coming up. So we look forward to hearing from that on your uh, on your podcast, pal. But uh, thanks for joining us on Over the Ball. Great talking to you guys. Always great to talk to Grant Wall and uh, keep an eye on his podcast for his announcement, guys. That's uh, for some of the announcements. He, he did kind of 
give us a little bit of a, the stuff off air. So it is pretty kind of exciting, some good news, but uh, it's, it's always great, great to, to catch up with him. So, mm-hmm. uh, so guys, what are you going to watch this weekend? Uh, Sam, is there anything that interests you at all? The Dr. Negative over there. Well, in, in, I, in I mean, York. I say all this, I, I'm, I'll probably get the package, you know, tomorrow morning at noon or I guess the package. It sounds like you're anymore. getting a cocaine delivery. <laughs> I'm going to get the, I'm going to get a package. What? Whatever it's Miami, the, Miami vice during Sam. The Paramount plus, um, yeah. I, you know, I, there are a couple decent city games this weekend. I guess Roma Fidentina is kind of the standout on Sunday. I don't have very high hopes for Fidentina. Will you me. slum it? Will you slum it and watch some premier league or what? No, um, probably not, but uh, not. I love it. I love his honesty. I'm Real. more, I, I'm, I am <laughs> interested in Roma this season, actually. And there, there are a couple decent storylines in Serie A that I'm sure I'll get into, but uh, Roma have kind of changed their look a lot. They obviously brought in Mourinho to be the coach, which is a huge deal. Um, but they also just signed uh, Tammy Abraham from Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea, yeah. Which uh, I, and I think Mourinho. they've yeah they've now spent the most of any Italian team this transfer window. So oh, where Mourinho get, goes, money follows, and uh, yeah. not always to the best endings. I wanted to get Grail's take as a Chelsea man on yeah. um, his thoughts on Abraham and well, in he City was off. To, yeah, he was off to an amazing start under Frank Lampard, and Lampard loved him, and he came up through the youth system, so Lampard knew him, and he scored a lot of goals early for Chelsea, and then he kind of lost his form and then he was never in Tuchel's plans so he's just essentially sat since Tuchel came Mm -hmm. you know I he's got he's got great speed I think his touch is so so it's kind of why I like prefer Giroud to him Mm -hmm. his touch needs to get better and for a guy his size he just should be better in the air than he is but uh, he's I sort of you thin, know, though. He's thin. yeah, but but he definitely can. He definitely can uh, help you guys. And he played yeah. well with Pulisic. I thought he teamed up with him well. Yeah, I just thought he came out like you know, with guns a blazing, and was amazing. And then he just kind of fell off, and then he got injured and stuff, which never helps. Um, mm. So anyway, so a couple of good matchups in the Premier League. A couple of good matchups in Syria. Ah, I guess yeah. I've, I've got. I was going to tune into PSG today, and then you guys just broke my heart saying that uh, Messi's not going to play. So that well, we don't know that for sure, but it sounds it seems like he's not. I'll, t- uh, I'll not tune in to see if I see him, uh, and then uh, Arsenal Chelsea on Sunday. And then next yeah. week, since we won't be back till uh, we won't be back until probably next Thursday, is we've got the MSG, uh, excuse me, the MSL, I should say, All Star Game on Wednesday night. So I'll definitely be tuning into that. Right, I uh, I put it for credentials on that one. Haven't heard back yet, so I'm hoping to go to that. So I'll be okay. able to. Uh, yeah, it's Wednesday, in LA, right? next Wednesday. Yeah. Yep. So I'm uh, I'm here. So all right, Sam, what do you got for us this week? Uh, I've got my number two pencil sharpened. I'm ready for your quiz. Uh, not that I'm ever ready for the quiz, but uh, I'll give it a shot again. I just so, want to beat you. That's all I care about. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> After these quizzes, I always feel like I should be sitting in a corner with a long pointy hat <laughs> facing backwards in Catholic school. So as I sort of started the show talking about the Super League and this kind of great wealth disparity that exists uh, within European soccer, uh, yep. my questions are based on you know, finances and how they affect um, team performance, essentially. Uh, In this case, the predicted performances of this season coming up. Wow. So uh, question one, there is one. Kevin's already confused. Go ahead, Professor. I'm ready. (laughs) There is one league of the major five in Europe in which the team with the highest market value, that being the total worth of its roster, according to Transfer Market, is not the favorite for the title. What league and who is it? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the highest value 
It had to be Bar. Has to be Barcelona, right? Um, let's say uh, Barcelona. I'm going to say Real Madrid. So, uh, okay. Well, I mean, you're both kind of right. Yeah. I mean, the answer is La Liga. Oh, and... I'm sorry. We oh, went. Oh, we got. We drilled down a little too. No, that's morons. Okay. Grab your pointy hat, bro. What? what? <laughs> well, it says what league and who is it? So La Liga is yeah, the La Liga. League. Barca yeah. have the highest market value in the league. However, Real yeah, are the favorites to win the title. So Flynn to win. Flynn with no, the win. There, wait a second. We're both right. You dope. Uh, no, we both had La Liga teams and I said Barcelona. Barca <laughs> was the correct answer given how the Thank you, Sam. Written. Thank you, Professor. Uh, okay. There's an apple sitting on your desk now from me. Uh, okay. Right, what's the next Next one? question. How many Champions League favorites per uh, 538, that's the Nate Silver, yep. you know, prediction yep. website, are not in the top four or three uh, in, uh, talking about Ligun, um, in terms of market value in their league. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a, a three-layered okay. answer. I'm going to say, so how many teams, right? How many teams, yeah. how many Champions League favorites yeah. are yes. not in the top four or three in terms of market value? So there's that yeah. is I'm 19 going to say two. teams. I'm going okay. to, no, actually, I'm going to say Actually, no, I'm going to say four. Okay. Kevin? Okay. Out of 19 teams? Out of the 19 Champions League yeah. favorites, how many are not in the top four in terms of market value? Top four. I'd say, I'd say I'm going to go with 10. Okay. Too the high. correct answer is two. Uh, oh, God. 10.5%. Okay. Put your total. dunce cap back on and go two, back man, into the Way corner. up. Well, I thought it was kind of one of those same trick right. questions. I win. Next. Can, can you name uh, those two teams? Oh, now you're going to be a moron. Oh, no. I mean, this is really hard. You don't have to dwell on it for long. If you I, yeah, I'm not to. sure. Okay, I Wolfsburg. Didn't dwell on it at all, in fact, Wolfsburg never. Wolfsburg and the Bundesliga are predicted to finish fourth, despite having the sixth highest market value. And yeah. Atalanta and Serie A are predicted to finish third, despite having also okay. the sixth highest. You love them, Atalanta, don't you? What, what's yeah. going on with them? Their style. Damn. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're. I actually think they have a really good shot at the the Scudetto this year because, um, yeah. you know, Inter's a bit of a mess. Juve are bringing yeah. back an old manager. They're kind of transitioning. I, I think this could be the year. It's, not highly always been a fan but... well one thing we can say is you haven't been a front runner you've always been fans of uh atalanta and i like the way they play yeah uh, for sure they have, they have played so uh all right okay. guys so wait, we wait, go, wait, oh wait, we have more oh god we're going, feeling dumb. Now we're getting Hold to on, the bottom dumps. of the table <laughs> okay right. so of the 13 newly promoted teams across the big five euro leagues right three each in spain england god, and italy us. two each in germany and france how many are expected again per 538's projections not to be relegated, relegated. this season? What's the total amount of teams out 13. of all those leagues? 13. 13. Mm-hmm. How, about, you know, uh, How many will not be relegated? Five. How many are predicted not to be relegated? I'm going to go with six. Three. Six. I'm going to go with I'm six. I'm going to go with three. Okay. The correct answer is four. So that's roughly 31%. Uh, so can I you was closer because I said you know, three. I said five originally. And then oh, can you, you name. <laughs> Any of them? No. One. <laughs> Not the you'll, you'll kick. Team. You'll kick yourselves about one. Uh, with that English team. Um. That narrows it down to twenty. I'm not sure. Just, you're talking Brentford. the bottom of the league. Brentford. Brentford that's oh, what Brentford. I meant. Yeah, oh, exactly. man. So I was technically right there. I just Blanked so, on the name. 
Brentford is uh, predicted to avoid relegation. Mallorca and Espanol in La Liga and Clermont. In yeah, I France, should have gotten that because I'm Flynn for the I'm, win. I'm, two to I'm, one. I'm two to one. Flynn for the win. Twelfth place this year. I know that's a bold prediction, but uh, Leeds Leeds did well when they came back up. Okay, building off that, of yeah. the teams predicted to be relegated this season across oh these God, five leagues, I have to take leagues, a nap for God's sake. How yeah. many are not in the bottom three or two? If we're talking Germany and France, because they do the playoff in terms of league market value. All right, this is right in your your zone, Graham. Oh my God! So it's, it's a similar it's a similar question. Yeah, I'm going to say two. How many possible? Nineteen to. Four. Not 19, but uh, okay, it's three, so it's 23 percent. Oh, we so, on that one, girl. Um, I'll just read not that anyone two, one, and one so yeah. far. Yeah, yeah. Leads up. <laughs> Ampoli, nice Ampoli, who were promoted to City, uh, are predicted Ampoli. to, to um, to be relegated despite having the 17th highest market value. Reem and Ligon are uh, are, Lean. are predicted Rem. to finish the I last. Despite uh, having the ninth highest market value, and Crystal Palace in the Premier League are predicted Crystal to finish eighteenth, despite having the sixteenth highest market value. Man, dude, so, you anyway, went deep. You went deep this week. The main wow. takeaway, the era. Is the main takeaway I am uh, trying to get at here is, in terms of these predictions, at least, which you know very highly inform the betting odds. Um, the the number one predictor is, uh, you know, talent essentially, and how yeah. much your roster is worth. So, right. It's uh, it's a little it's a little sobering, and I think you you know the 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 depth of your roster like you know Man City even when guys go down they're hurt I think mm-hmm. you know you could just throw in another guy you take a Mares off the bench for God's well, sake. Well, their so, their yeah. first match last week you know against Spurs that they lost I mean there were five guys on the bench that mm-hmm. that would start for any any other team in the uh, uh, De Bruyne yeah. came on and made a difference right away yeah. I don't know yeah. why he sat out that was uh, I don't ridiculous. either it was a, that was very odd ridiculous and, and, you know to, also to be fair these these are just predictions. I mean, yeah. this this right. could go completely differently, and I could look like an idiot. But it's it's clear that you know market value is heavily tied to uh, at least anticipated success. All right, good good stuff, Sam. Uh, I never even took my pencil uh, out of the case in this one. This is a, this is a tough <laughs> quiz, but I beat Grail, and that's all. You that did counts. not beat me. All right, so guys, before we go, uh, I want to just a shout out to Gerd Mueller. Um, what a great player! Uh, all of yeah. us, uh, well. That our age, Grail used to wear those uh, those Adidas Gerd Mueller's. That's that's what yeah. you wore, man. Uh, yellow stripes, three yellow stripes, the Gerd Mueller's, and um, to watch him play when he came over here in the NASL and kind of hear about the legend that he was, and uh, you know you'd see it in highlights and stuff. I know going to summer, you know, soccer camps and watching the highlights, uh, you know those those videos that uh, tactics and teamwork they would show and you know what was Gerd Mueller how to finish well I was I was li- I was a 14 year old in England where he when he broke my heart because England didn't qualify for that 74 World Cup and I was a Holland fanatic I loved Cruyff and Naskins and all them and he scored a goal on the turn that I think is still working its way towards the goal I've never seen a slower shot go in, but it was the winning goal. And his stats are just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, 566 goals in 607 games for Bayern, 68 goals in 62 games for West Germany, 10 goals in the 70 World Cup, and wow. Franz Beckenbauer. This is Franz Beckenbauer. Kaiser Franz's quote, he was the most important player in the history of Bayern. 
I mean, and maybe even the German national team. But that's pretty they, incredible back coming then. from Franz Beckenbauer's teammate at Bayern. Der Kaiser. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. great, great stuff. And our thoughts uh, go out to to his family. And uh, yeah, what a great uh, what a great legacy as a player. Mm. Uh, Gerd Mueller leaves, and uh, just you know, I mentioned that whole that whole wild time in in Florida when all those great players were down there. Uh, you know. Um, so anyway, yeah. uh, it was great talking to Grant Wall. Uh, listen to his podcast uh, football with grant wall he's got some great announcements coming up there's a lot of fun stuff out there everybody with uh, with soccer how it pertains to the um, the game here in the states a lot of changes a lot of things happening constantly and people are now aware of uh, this game here in this country and uh, we're talking about it everywhere so all good stuff so for uh, for sam griswold and grail hallett i'm kevin flynn we'll talk to you next time on otb